Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by college sports blogger and comedian Lucy Rodine. You know, we're from those hilarious college sports TikTok videos about the conferences, the Power Five. Well, she's got more to give. We will be joined by her coming up later on in the program here on the Jones Report today. Thomas Bridges has the week off. We are back from vacation last week, and we got plenty to cover on today's show. Thanks for making us a part of your day here on the Jones Report. And uh, I had a nice couple days in Branson, Missouri last week, and we have gone right back at it this week with uh, all loaded in on a awesome sports week. Uh, this pandemic, you know, we've been waiting for when stuff would happen. And then this weekend, what do you know, uh, three straight days of sports in the Kansas City area with NASCAR getting things started at Kansas Speedway on Thursday night. An exciting race that Denny Hamlin won. Yet opening day for the Royals uh, today, uh, coming up this evening when they play at Cleveland. Then tomorrow, Chiefs training camp gets started from the Chiefs facility. And uh, very awesome to see that get put together as the veterans report and uh, get that thing underway. So we have certainly changed a lot just within the last few days, comparably speaking, of what we were even just a week ago. And so it appears that things are headed in the right direction in the sports world, and uh, that's definitely exciting on that front, to say the least. And where I want to start on today's show is looking back at last night's NASCAR race at Kansas Speedway. An exciting race, to say the least, as Denny Hamlin picked up his second straight win at Kansas since the month of October, and it was his fifth win of the season. And first off, I want to talk about, just from my vantage point, not only just how awesome that race was and one of the best Kansas races I've ever seen, but this was so different for everybody involved. And we knew it would be uh, with these circumstances that we're under in this pandemic, but it was interesting to finally see it for myself and see things firsthand. Um, you know, since the shutdown, most of these NASCAR races have been run without fans or a very limited number of fans. The All-Star race last week at Bristol had 30,000 fans. Kansas Speedway uh, did not get the clearance to have any fans at all. And so the atmosphere, I showed up around 3.45, race starts at 6.30, and you would have had no idea that there was going to be a NASCAR race at Kansas Speedway based on the atmosphere there. It was just dead pre-race, which is very unusual. You go to an NASCAR race weekend, in particular one at Kansas Speedway, it's always got a carnival feel like to it with so much stuff going on outside the track with all the haulers and the merchandise and, uh, you know, the rides for the kids and the different foods and drinks and things like that. None of that at all uh, with no fans involved. So that was certainly different. You did, you know, the COVID screenings and all that. And uh, so much so when you talk about things that are different. Um, usually when we cover these NASCAR race weekends, no matter where I'm at, could be at Daytona, could be at Kansas Speedway, whatever it is, we have all access to kind of just roam around, go wherever we want. 
and, uh, you know, talk to drivers and teams and get their perspective on things. This was cut back a lot, as you could imagine. Uh, our access now was just to the press box and to that uh, main grandstand, which was uh, totally different than it was previously. And with no fans there, they actually had me park my car underneath the grandstand itself. So that's the closest I've ever gotten to putting my car on the racetrack. Uh, maybe next time they'll actually let me put the uh, car on the racetrack and take it for a spin in my Kia. That'd be a lot of fun, but uh, not quite. Almost there, but not quite this time. Uh, but very different atmosphere. And, and I got to tell you, I got to give credit where credit's due. The Kansas Speedway staff, they anticipated this race running back on May 31st with full attendance. And then this coronavirus pandemic certainly threw them a curve. They went through some staff changes of sorts, uh, completing the merger of ISC and NASCAR, and they still found a way to be as first class as possible, providing all the needs that us media needed. Uh, and I didn't feel like we were in a bubble of sorts, that we could still roam around. Sure, you had to wear a mask, and I have no problem wearing a mask at all, uh, doing those things like that, but it was still very accommodating. And the race itself, as has been the norm in NASCAR this season with no practice and qualifying sessions, uh, these guys have had to adapt accordingly. And this is the first time that Kansas Speedway had run a race in the month of July, first time without fans, and the first time ever without practice and qualifying. And these drivers didn't miss a beat. They put on an exciting show from start to finish uh, of this race. Denny Hamlin gets the win. And I got to tell you, Denny Hamlin right now is in the prime of his career. This is the best I've ever seen Denny Hamlin run of what he's put together the last two years. His crew chief, Chris Gavehart, has been a perfect match for Denny Hamlin. This was a guy in Denny Hamlin that was on the verge of losing his ride last season. Even after he won the Daytona 500, all the people I talked to had said, you know, this is nice, but he's still not going to be back at Joe Gibbs Racing next year. What do you know? He came very close to winning a championship, and I know that Kyle Busch won the title, but Denny Hamlin was the most consistent driver for Joe Gibbs Racing all season last year. Fast forward to 2020. Joe Gibbs has not been the same team that they were last season. Uh, Kyle Busch is yet to get in victory lane this season. Martin Truex has taken a step back a bit. A lot of that has to do with Cole Pern, his crew chief, retiring. And Eric Jones has uh, struggled, uh, comparably speaking, to what he was a year ago. But you know who hasn't stepped back at all? That's Denny Hamlin. In fact, he's even racing better than he was a season ago. And that 11 team, Chris Gavehart told Hamlin before the season began that he had a specific number in mind, and they won't say what that number is, of wins that they were going to get in 2020. And Hamlin thought Chris was crazy for the number that apparently he told him. Well, now at five wins, just over halfway through the season, Hamlin said after the win last night that they're getting closer to that number. Uh, might I add you, the champion last year, Kyle Busch, had five wins all season. Hamlin's already at that mark. 
So we're seeing some really good racing from Denny Hamlin. Um, and, you know, not to mention, Denny Hamlin is what NASCAR needs. Uh, he's a great personality, very likable. Uh, he, he loves to do the interviews and the media attention. Uh, I mean, he's all over the place, this guy is. Um, it's hard to hate on Denny Hamlin. He is universally likable. He's uh, an entertaining guy, and he can drive the heck out of a race car. And you think about last night's race. Here was Denny Hamlin with probably the third or fourth best car in the field, but he still found a way to get up front and get a win when it mattered most, that they adjusted accordingly. When you get those wins that you're not supposed to, that's a sign of how good your success is. I know that Denny Hamlin, you go back to that 2010 year that he had when he almost won the championship, he had a lot more dominating races and such maybe than he does now. But looking at this season, getting uh, these wins they've had, that's the mark of a team that is, uh, is really getting the most out of their race cars and contending the most every week when they win those those races they're not supposed to and a lot of that credit goes to Denny Hamlin for what he's been able to put together so very impressed with Denny Hamlin uh here in 2020 and it looks like this season is shaping up to be Kevin Harvick versus Denny Hamlin for the championship uh based on the way this regular season has gone now certainly there's a long ways left to go in the NASCAR season, uh, certainly that could change. Uh, you know, in the flip of a switch, somebody else could all of a sudden contend and uh, be a favorite to join those guys for the championship. But right now, it's clearly those two. Harvick, he started on the pole. He led uh, some in stage three last night. It wasn't Harvick's best night. The car just was not there from the get-go. Uh, but he still managed to finish uh, top six uh, and raced very well. I think he got the most out of what he could in that circumstance, but uh, he was you know, kind of fading off there. He wasn't really uh, a name that we talked about for much of the race after he started on pole and didn't even lead a lap. And then in stage three, he finds himself in the lead when he was having an average night of sorts. So I'm fascinated to see Hamlin and Harvick and how long this goes between the two, if it goes all the way to Phoenix at the end of the year of this battle or if somebody else could join the fold. But it's clearly those two, Hamlin and Harvick, have separated themselves. And we're going to go back to Kansas Speedway again in October for the playoffs. And when you, not, when you don't have these practice and qualifying sessions, you're relying so much on notes. And based on what Hamlin put together, to think that he only had maybe the third or fourth best car and still won, you would have to think that when it comes to October, Denny Hamlin's probably going to be even better because they're going to look at their setup and say, you know what, we won and we could still tweak some things. That's a scary sign for everybody else. And, of course, he won that race last October, too. So things appear to be going very well for Denny Hamlin. I'm excited to see what he can put together. Uh, kudos to NASCAR uh, for doing a great job hosting this race and uh, getting this uh, this race in one way or the other. I would have loved to seen the fans there. It certainly wasn't the same uh, with no fans in attendance. 
Uh, but nonetheless, it was a great race and great to have sports back in Kansas City uh, with uh, that NASCAR race there at Kansas Speedway being a uh, big success on that front. Chiefs training camp gets started tomorrow from Arrowhead, uh, from one Arrowhead drive, that is. And what's so great about where the Chiefs are at is those things that we talked about, those big what-ifs for the last couple months in regards to those contract situations with Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones, they're taken care of before these guys even arrive in the building. Uh, Chris Jones, by the way, he gave the command uh, to start the race uh, last night. I was a little disappointed. I expected more out of Chris Jones. It was okay. It wasn't great, but it wasn't the worst either uh, as far as that goes. But with that being said, Chris Jones and Patrick Mahomes each have their contract extensions. They're in place. They're good to go. Uh, You don't have to worry about that. You know that you have your franchise quarterback for the next 12 years. You know you have one of the best pass rushers in the league for four more years. Uh, Those are very good things that you're glad to be taken care of. And you also know what you're going to be spending, what you have to work with to keep other guys around and adjust your roster accordingly. I love what the Chiefs did on that Patrick Mahomes deal. As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's a very team-friendly contract despite spending $45 million a year on Patrick Mahomes. The way that contracts are going to go with with the salary cap moving up and new TV contracts and such, the back end of that contract, we're going to look at Patrick Mahomes and say that he's pretty cheap. Um, Chris Jones... Four years, $85 million. He could have taken more money to go elsewhere. He really could have. Uh, there are teams that would have chomped at the bit to pay Chris Jones a lot of money. Now, they may have been some bad teams, but he could have gotten more other places. Instead, he comes to Kansas City, stays around for less, and he's going to reap the rewards from it. The pieces are in place to keep this thing going for a very long time. And Chris Jones is a big part of that. What we've seen Brett Veach do with the Kansas City Chiefs is that the offense is the focus in Kansas City. The way that he's built this roster since taking over at GM is load the offense up as strong as possible and then see whatever you have left over for the defense. Um, The Chiefs are never going to have the number one defense in the league. As long as Patrick Mahomes is there, I highly doubt that because their priority is offense, and that's okay. Their defense just needs to be good enough. And they realize, you know what? We have an opportunity to keep Chris Jones. Let's do it. You've already paid Tyron Matthew as well as Frank Clark. Those guys are there. Those three are going to be the cornerstones of your defense for the next you know, three-plus years at this point going forward. That's huge that you have those guys to lead your defense, and then you hope to you know, get some younger, younger guys developed to play alongside them, um, you know, like Willie Gay Jr., for example, Juan Thornhill. If your young cats can come together and be productive, then your defense is going to be just fine. They're going to be good enough. Um, so I really like the moves that we've seen the last couple of weeks to, to prepare for the future, to have those things in place, and you got to be feeling confident. And the Chiefs, you can tell going into training camp, how confident this team is. And it it almost seems cocky of sorts, but when you look at not only the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, 
But the moves that they've made this offseason, that confidence, that cockiness is warranted of sorts based on what they've done. They have backed up what they've said so far to this point in time. Um, you know, Chris Jones says that you know, they're going to win five Super Bowls in his time in Kansas City. Um, and, you know, that certainly pops some eyeballs of sorts. People uh, were like, okay, uh, all right then. And then Tyreek Hill goes on first take, and uh, he says that, you know, five Super Bowls would be cool, but actually we're chasing Michael Jordan. We're going <laughs> for, uh, you know, seven Super Bowls. Uh, it's just crazy to think about that these guys are, are saying this, but so far to this point, they've backed up everything they've said. So, to me, those things, you know, you think of when LeBron came to Miami and said, not four, not five, not six, not seven, and only won two there in Miami. Well, in this case, they're saying this after they've already won one, after they've already had a terrific offseason. I had Diana Rossini on my radio show last week, and she said that Brett Veach has pretty much already won executive of the year, and the season hasn't even started yet. That's how great of a job of an offseason that they had, not to mention their draft picks of picking up Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in that first round, and he's going to be a natural fit for that offense. Willie Gay Jr., we mentioned, that second-round pick, he's probably going to be a starter right away, too. I mean, things are just going well for Kansas City as they head into training camp. And it looks like we're not going to have any preseason games. The Chiefs will be the first team, along with the Houston Texans, to take the field in 2020. Uh, when they open up the season uh, uh, there for their ring ceremony night. Um, and, you know, as we've said all offseason long, this is such a weird year for everybody involved with this pandemic and not having the usual OTAs and mini camps like that, you know, a lot of Zoom stuff and whatnot. Um, this has been an odd time for everybody. And in Kansas City's case, You've worked out the contract stuff. You've had a good draft. And now you're bringing 20 of 22 starters back. You're not, you're not reteaching a system, putting it in place, not putting in a new system in place either. You're adding to what's already there. And that was going to be an advantage against the rest of the league as is. And then this pandemic happens, and it's even more of an advantage. You take a team like Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. He's had a heck of a career. But you know what? You're walking into a new team with a Bruce Arian system that's very different than what Tom Brady did in New England. And there is going to be an adaption period of sorts. Um, It's going to take time for these guys to acclimate, whether it's playing to Brady style or playing to Bruce Arian style. That's not going to happen overnight. And I think that Tampa Bay team is very good, possibly the best team in the NFC, but that will take time. Kansas City is not in that position. They are ready to pick up and go from the get-go. So that's uh, awesome for Kansas City, a lot of momentum heading into training camp. And, you know, the the preseason, I've never been a fan of the NFL preseason. Uh, You know, it, it causes a lot of unnecessary injuries, The tickets are overpriced. They're the same as the regular season. Uh, I mean, it's just a waste. Waste. Uh, If you're a fantasy football player, you hated uh, the preseason because you would do your fantasy draft, and then all of a sudden the guy you drafted 
get injured in the preseason. You're like, well, I just wasted a pick for no good. That sucks. Well, now you do without that preseason, and you could argue that that helps the Chiefs, that you avoid those injuries, that um, you don't expose much of what you're doing. You keep things kind of in-house on that front. So, um, you know, all this is working out nicely for the Chiefs compared to almost everyone else in the NFL at this point in time. Uh, reason to be excited, optimistic. The future is bright in Kansas City. It starts right now. And I am still adamant that the best is yet to come for this Kansas City Chiefs team. Um, if you've thought the, these last two years have been exciting, you ain't seen nothing yet. Think about Patrick Mahomes. Now, he was the Super Bowl MVP last season, NFL MVP the, week, the uh, season before. And he said that he's just now starting to learn how to read defenses. This guy's not even in his prime yet. We were talking about Denny Hamlin, how well he's racing in his prime. Patrick Mahomes is having all the success, and he's about to enter year four of his career, year three as a starter at 24 years old. Um, we very well could be witnessing, and, and I hate to be this guy, but if he's this good now, watch out. We could be witnessing potentially – the greatest quarterback of all time uh, in Kansas City. They have high hopes. They have high expectations, and rightfully so. Everything they've done at this point, they've backed up what they said. Now it's a matter of putting it all together again. Um, this season, you know, I, I don't know about fans, how many are going to be there, how many are going to be able to see these Chiefs games. Um, but, you know, they've been road warriors when they needed to be. As much as I love the Chiefs' kingdom and that fan base – Patrick Mahomes has never lost a game by more than seven points. Um, whether fans are there or not, whether they're on the road or they're playing at home in front of nobody, whatever it may be, this Chiefs team is going to find a way to win and win a lot of football games. And you have to have them as the favorites uh, going into 2020 to repeat as Super Bowl champions. Uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. So we'll see what happens. But training camp getting started on Saturday for the Kansas City Chiefs. Not open to the public, not in St. Joe. They'll be at the team facility, which is a little different than what we normally see, but uh, good that it is happening nonetheless uh, on that front there. Uh, we're going to talk uh, some college football and such with Lucy Rodine when she joins us coming up later on in the show, but I want to talk about where we stand right now in regards to this 2020 college football season and kind of an idea that's being thrown around out there. Um, if you recall, a couple weeks ago, the Big Ten announced they went rogue from the Power Five conferences that uh, they were going to not play non-conference games in 2020, just Big Ten conference games. And even if you have a non-conference rival that's close by, let's say Iowa and Iowa State, that still was not going to happen, no matter what, um, you know, which was unfortunate that that was the case. And so it was expected that everyone else would kind of follow suit. Um, the Pac-12 did follow suit uh, a couple days later. The ACC, there was initial report that they were. Now that's kind of been backtracked a bit, and the ACC is still trying to figure things out and work with Notre Dame, uh, you know, of course, who's an associate member of their league. Uh, so, But one thing that we've seen is that the Big 12 and the SEC 
have been pretty clear that they're going to wait as long as possible and they're going to do what they can to have a normal 12-game season of some sorts. And one idea that's being thrown around that's getting a lot of traction for the Big 12 and the SEC, uh, and maybe even the ACC of some sorts too, is a a plus-one model. You play conference teams and then one non-conference game. And one idea is a Big 12 SEC challenge of sorts. We've seen this in basketball for the last several years, and it's been awesome what they've produced over the last few years in basketball, where in basketball they pick out one day a year, usually in the month of January, and 10 Big 12 teams play 10 SEC teams. Games go on all day long. People eat it up. It draws a lot of positive attention to both conferences. You have conference pride between the two leagues. And uh, not only do you have affects the win-loss record, obviously, of these teams, but also one conference reigns superior for that day. It's been highly successful. Well, one idea that's been thrown around out there uh, to have that you know, sort of unity, to have people on the same page and make sure that uh, these conferences can each have a quality opponent um, is the Big 12 and the SEC doing a football challenge of some sorts. Now, here's a few things to keep in mind before we figure out what teams can play who. Um, you, you have to think about that the SEC would like to keep their natural ACC rivals that they have within states to keep those games going. Georgia versus Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, Kentucky, Louisville. Those games have been going on for decades. If you're the SEC, you would probably rather those guys keep their natural ACC rival rather than play a Big 12 team. But that's okay because in a pure number sense, you can only play 10 Big 12 teams and you have four ACC rivals. So that could work. Follow me on this? So then you have 10 head-to-head games, and there's already three games on the schedule of Big 12 versus SEC matchups in non-conference. That includes LSU-Texas, which is a rematch of last year's game when the two teams met in Austin. Very good game between the two. LSU ultimately came out on top. That was before Texas had all the injuries, and they went toe-to-toe with LSU. That was a very good game that LSU held on late and obviously, uh, you know, of course, went on to have an undefeated season and win the national championship. They could have lost that night. Texas played maybe their best game all year because they were actually healthy there. So you have the return trip to Baton Rouge between LSU and Texas that would already take up one spot. Oklahoma is set to face Tennessee this year. That game in Norman, the second part of the series they played a couple years ago, uh, which was a very good home-and-home when uh, Baker Mayfield played both those games uh, back in the day. It wasn't that long ago. Um, That game supposed to be in Norman on the schedule. That would fill up one of your spots as well. And K-State and Vandy are supposed to play each other. This is the return trip from a couple years ago when K-State 
went down to Nashville. They took over the place, had like 30,000 K-State fans. Um, but Vandy still ultimately ended up winning that game. This is the return trip to Manhattan. So those games are already on the schedule. So you got three games that already fit and work. Um, there's been ongoing discussions, even before all this, between Alabama and TCU. Each of them lost a non-conference opponent already that they were supposed to face out of the Power Five. And so now they're each looking for a team to face. Alabama was supposed to go play USC at Jerry's World in Dallas. And for them, that's a, a big deal uh, to, ha- to play in a kickoff game of sorts for recruiting, uh, to show themselves as that national brand that they are. Um, to play you know, a, a game in Texas there in Dallas exposes them to those Texas recruits. Sometimes they play in that kickoff game at Georgia, uh, at Atlanta, and obviously that's big for them. So they would like to stay in a kickoff game of some sorts. TCU right there in Fort Worth. Jerry World in Arlington's just down the road, literally 20 minutes away. Um, they could make that work, even if there's no fans or – they could have a limited number of fans there. They could spread them out. That place seats 100,000 people. Still have a good atmosphere. And so those two teams, uh, you would have to think, if they do this Big 12 SEC challenge of sorts, would probably pair up since they've already been talking with each other. So then that leaves six spots available. Um, and here's the teams that would need to fill games. And I, as your humble correspondent, have uh, put together what I would suggest the matchup should be for those other six games. Um, Now, here's the teams, and then I'm going to tell you what I've come up with. The teams from the Big 12 would then be Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas. The teams from the SEC that would then be available would be Texas A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Mizzou. So, now, let's put that schedule together. Um, First off, let's think about natural rivalries. Restore some old foes with each other of some sort that make sense and also were relatively close to each other uh, that can make an easy trip. Remember, this college football season and other sports as well, what you're going to see more of is day trips. Try to show up on game day, leave right afterwards. Um, Road trips are a good thing, too. That's going to be more of the norm this season. And and remember, this is all dependent on if we have a season. But if we do, that's going to be what we're looking at. So with that being said, obviously what comes to mind, especially if you're a KU fan here in Lawrence, is uh, getting KU and Mizzou to play together. And, you know, a couple years ago, you would have said, well, there's no interest between Uh, for KU to play Mizzou. They don't want anything to do with them. Well, now we know that's not the case with them already having uh, a couple of non-conference series scheduled down the road. Uh, I think both schools would be happy to play each other, whether that's in Lawrence or in Columbia or at Arrowhead, wherever it may be, that would be a good, natural, just makes sense matchup uh, for KU and Mizzou both, uh, you know, to fill that non-conference void of sorts. So you got that game taken care of. Uh, Then, how about Texas Tech and Arkansas? Two different Southwest Conference foes. 
Uh, they have history with one another. They had a pretty good non-conference series just a couple years ago. Um, that makes sense. Uh, you know, two teams that I know that you know Lubbock to Fayetteville is not you know an easy trip, but it is a short flight of sorts. Uh, you know, if you do have to you know travel by air, it's not going to take you that long. Uh, that could be done quickly, but that makes sense there. And then another familiar matchup: Oklahoma State and Texas A&M. These two teams had some classic games in the Big 12 Conference over the years. You go back to uh, the late 2000s and just before A&M left for the SEC. It was awesome anytime these two teams played. I still remember the matchup in in particular. I'm trying to think of the year. I want to say 2010. I'm probably wrong on that. Um, But... Oklahoma State, uh, 2011 actually, 2011 Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, in College Station. It was Ryan Tannehill versus Brandon Whedon, and those guys just went off. It was an extreme back-and-forth game. Um, You know, these two teams know each other and had some great history there in the Big 12 Conference between the two. I don't think there's any bad blood of sorts. I don't think they would have a problem playing each other. Um, that could be fun if Oklahoma State and Texas A&M got together. So then the other games from that point, the other three, well, we don't have really any natural rivalries left of our, th- of our six teams available from both conferences, so let's just pair up the best matchups we can. Let's put Iowa State taking on Auburn. Not a great travel trip of sorts, but two of the better teams in each of their respective leagues. Um, that would be fun. Brock Purdy, of course, projected to be a uh, top 15 draft pick, one of the best quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft class. Auburn, uh, with Gus Miles on, has uh, uh, a new OC in Chad Morris, the former Arkansas head coach. Uh, this is a make-or-break year for Gus in Arkansas They need er, and uh, in Auburn. Uh, they need to have a big year uh, for Gus to stick around there uh, at Auburn. So, that, to me, would be a lot of fun. And uh, they did actually share, uh, at one point in time, Gene Chizik. Gene Chizik, of course, uh, was the head coach at Iowa State and then went on to Auburn. So I guess you have that element there of sorts, but that would be what I'd go with. Baylor and Old Miss uh, would be another game uh, that could pair up with each other. Um, to me, that would be fun. You have a Baylor team that has a new head coach and Dave Aranda. Um, and you know, it would be a good test to see where he's at there. And Ole Miss has a good uh, new head coach in uh, Lane Kiffin there. So two first-year head coaches. How good is Baylor going to be uh, in their first year without Matt Rule? You still have Charlie Brewer there. Um, that would be interesting to see what this Baylor team is like and a test for them right away against an, an SEC team. Uh, and Lane Kiffin, is, of course, too. It's always a party when Lane's around. And the other matchup would be West Virginia and Mississippi State. I mean, this is about as redneck as it gets between two uh, teams from different conferences. Uh, West Virginia and Mississippi State, I mean, they would be, uh, you know, it would be a battle of the, uh, the facial hair versus the cowbells and who could out last each other the bit. There would be a lot of culture involved in that game. Um, that's one where I would really wish fans were there in some extent. 
Uh, just to see those two kind of interact would be hilarious. Um, but you have teams that, you know, Mississippi State's, of course, got, got a new head coach in Mike Leach. Uh, Neil Brown's in his second year at West Virginia. Neither team has high expectations for 2020. Um, that might be the game that decides who would win this Big 12 SEC challenge. So with that being said, how would these matchups go? Let's walk through them one by one. Just uh, my prognostication if we were to play a 10-team uh, Big 12 SEC challenge with these matchups. Uh, Oklahoma, Tennessee, I'll give that win to OU. That should be pretty easy for them. Tennessee, much improved in the second half of last year. Jeremy Pruitt looking like a pretty good head coach, but Oklahoma, a far superior team. That game in Norman, got to go OU. LSU should handle business against Texas. Uh, Game at home. Uh, Yes, you lost a lot of players from last year's national championship squad, but you still have Jamar Chase and an excellent recruiting class coming in. I would take LSU at home there. K-State and Vandy. K-State lost a lot from last year, but Skylar Thompson, who it seems like he's been at K-State since the 1940s, he's still the man at quarterback. He had a much improved junior season last year, comparatively speaking, to his sophomore year. I expect him to take another step. Don't know what to expect from Vandy this year. I would go with K-State there. Bama and TCU, pretty simple. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter where they play. Uh, Could be at Jerry World, could be... In Fort Worth, could be you know at Alabama. They could play on the moon, whatever it may be. Alabama's winning that game. Um, you know, I'm not sold on Mac Jones just yet, um, but I will say that I would certainly take my chances on Mac Jones against TCU. Bama wins that game. Uh, so at that point, we're at two-two. So then the next six. Here's how I think they would go: Oklahoma State, very talented team. If their defense was you know, just a little bit above average, we'd be talking about Oklahoma State as the top 10 team in 2020 for sure. Um, they have some defensive holes, but that offense is so good. A&M's got some problems. Uh, Jimbo Fisher hasn't quite completed that offense to what he expected it to be initially. I would go with Oklahoma State. Iowa State and Auburn, I think Auburn is slightly more talented than Iowa State. And as good as Iowa State has been the last couple years, shocking everybody with how much they've come along as a program, they still have not been able to win those big games, the biggest ones. You had that nice win against Oklahoma, that was cool, but you didn't have any pressure on you. When you've had pressure on Iowa State, they haven't been able to come through in some of those big moments, so I'd have to go Auburn there. Baylor and Ole Miss, I think Baylor is more talented than Ole Miss. I'll take Baylor in that one. Texas Tech and Arkansas. Man, uh, you know, Sam's got quite the rebuilding job there ahead of him at Arkansas. Texas Tech, second year under uh, Matt Wells. Uh, You know, they have some work to do themselves, but I think Texas Tech is farther along than Arkansas is as a program right now. I would go with Texas Tech there. West Virginia and Mississippi State. Toss-up game, as we mentioned, could be what decides this series. Um, neither team is that special. Uh, I think it's going to be a long year for both those teams. Um, I, I guess I would lean towards West Virginia. Maybe that's my Big 12 bias showing there, but I don't feel confident about either one of those teams having a good season uh, or either team uh, you know, confidently about one way or the other if they were to face. So I guess West Virginia, but I don't say that uh, with you know 
this uh, bet the house on West Virginia mentality by any means. KU and Mizzou, uh, I like what Les is doing at the University of Kansas. Puka Williams is terrific. He's going to have a fantastic 2020, probably his last season at Kansas before he goes on to the NFL. But Mizzou, um, you know, first-year head coach and Eli uh, Drinkwitz, um, they get a lot more talent than KU does right now. Uh, it's just simple as that. KU's still got a long ways to go. They're still way behind in the scholarship numbers. Um, it's a project that Les Miles is dealing with with Kansas. As much as I would love to see KU beat Mizzou, if they were to face off this year, I think Mizzou is slightly better, or just enough anyway, uh, better than KU. So you add that up, and despite the SEC being a better conference than the Big 12, um, I think that you happen to luck out with Georgia, Florida, and Kentucky playing ACC rivals. In this case, if they're involved, the SEC wins this hands down. But because the Big 12 lucks out with that and is pretty favorable with the opponents they do get, I think the Big 12 could win a series like that of that 10-game stretch I just gave you, probably about 6-4. Very easily could go 5-5. Maybe the SEC finds a way to flip it to 6-4. But that's to to give you a good idea. I think that would be a pretty fair series in the fact that the SEC, yes, is the better conference, but if you favor the Big 12 6-4, things kind of even out there. So uh, we'll see. If this happens, it would be great. Um, you know, The Big 12 is looking at possibly pushing back the season to start in uh, October with the Big 12 Conference championship game being in mid-December. They're already looking at dates to work with the Cowboys to have that facility there give more time for guys to uh, recover from coronavirus and isolate and do those things and have full practices and all that. Um, if this the season is if this is the season we get of one SEC game for everybody and then play the Big 12 conference schedule, the Big 12 championship and the college football playoff, if that's what we get in the Big 12, I will take it and I will not complain one bit. Um, that will work for me. Uh, this is a tough circumstance. We all have to sacrifice one way or the other. And if that's what we end up with, uh, by all means, let's roll. Let's go with that. Coming up next, Lucy Rodine joins us here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Pleased to be joined by, on the Jones Report this week, Lucy Rodine. You know her from, yes, those uh, brilliant conference TikTok videos that just took the internet by storm over the last couple of weeks of all Power Five conferences as uh, she gave them the perspective of what they would be like in a bar. And we have brought the bar to the Jones Report this week as Lucy joins us right now. Lucy, appreciate the time. Did you expect that to really just take off like it did here in the, in the last uh, couple of weeks? I kind of thought the Big Ten one would just because I do have a kind of a strong following in Iowa and a couple other like pockets of Big Ten fan bases. Uh, The other ones, no. Surprisingly, the Big 12 one I thought was the best. That one was my favorite. So I thought that one would do well. The ACC one has gotten the most views out of any. So I was kind of thrown off by that. Like I thought the Big Ten one would be funny. And originally that was my plan was just to do the Big Ten one. But when it kind of popped off a little larger than I expected, I said, all right, we'll just do every conference. That's hilarious. And I got to give you credit for, you know, not only how funny it was, but when I looked at these other ones, you know, the Big 12 one, you, you had a little more time with 10 teams in a minute, but 
these TikTok videos. I, I'm not on the TikTok, by the way. I, I stay away from it. Um, <laughs> but you, you got like 14 teams in in, in a one-minute video. How, how did you come up with this? I mean, just uh, comedic brilliance on your part. Thank you. Thank you. It was, yeah, I appreciated the big 12 a lot because it, it made it so much easier. And I felt like I could be a little more in depth with the stuff I do. Um, it kind of started cause I I'm on TikTok. I had not made TikTok videos before I just started doing it. And I was really embarrassed at first, really, really embarrassed, um, actually mortified. Um, so I started making TikTok videos cause I'm trying to kind of get my name out there, create content and the best way to find ways to make funny TikToks is to watch other funny TikToks. You know, the best mm-hmm. way to, you know, be a better writer is to read good writing. Sure. So I was just watching TikToks and I saw this one guy and he did like an impersonation of like every 90s movie, like rom-com scene ever. And it was like girls like eating, you know, takeout Chinese food while they talked about their boyfriends. And I thought it was really funny. And I was like, I can do something like that with the big 10. Like I could easily do the drunk girl stuff because like as a, someone who spent a lot of time of as a drunk girl, I know how to do that. (laughs) So I just put it, I just kind of like thought like, man, that would be like, I feel like that could go well. And so and keep like a dumb list next to my bed every night of just like TikTok ideas that I come up with. And a lot of them are misses, but I thought this one could be a hit. And so the next day I just went through my closet, got all the clothes out, sat them out on my bed and then, you know, filmed myself doing these impressions. That's hilarious. Uh, I was just about to ask actually uh, of those things you mentioned, did you have uh, personal experiences of sorts? I know that it's, ironic that you know we're talking about other schools and places and such but were those actually things that happened with you at Iowa um not so (laughs) much Uh, I would say I'll be honest most of my friends are dudes uh and so I would avoid talking to girls at the bar it was just easier for me uh and I I kind of have a like a like little like this is gonna sound so narcissistic um but I have like a small celebrity status in Iowa for like my Twitter and some of my videos and so I get treated pretty well at the bars and so (laughs) I mean I've seen drunk girls I always watch them from afar my best friend was in a sorority so I could just kind of watch it happen but uh I I am a fun drunk I am the Iowan except for I don't drink bush light (laughs) Whoa! Hold on a second here. No, you don't drink I'm bush lose light. I'm gonna a lot of followers after I said that. I just, I don't, I don't do it. I'm sorry. Oh it's, my gosh! I'm from North Carolina, so I, I can have that excuse of like I didn't grow up with it. Like I can get so, it here. But that's so what do you drink? Michelob or something? Like what do North Carolina people drink? I. Well, North Carolina people really don't drink that much. The state's liquor laws and alcohol laws are like really particular, so it okay. makes it super difficult for people. If I can, I like to get, like, summer shandy. I know it's a Wisconsin beer, but (laughs) Islands will forgive me for it. Uh, And I like to, if I can drink local, I always drink local. And so my favorite beer is this local beer out in California. It's called 805. So that is what I drink. Um, I will lose followers for that. I I already know. Wow. No bush light. Uh, That's easily the most shocking thing of the day uh, is hearing that you're not pro bush light. It's going to be rough for my mentions. It's going to be rough. With that being said, uh, what's your take on Casey's Pizza then? That appears to be the other uh, notable Iowa food or drink of sorts. You're really trying to make Iowans hate me today. Wow. Um, it's, 
like I don't want to say it because I know it's not gonna go well. I've only said it publicly once, and I said it in a video like a few months ago, and I snuck it in at the very end of the video so that if people just didn't watch the whole thing, they wouldn't see it. Sure. I think it's overrated. Oh. It's gas station pizza. Like, it's not bad, but it's not like God's gift to Earth, which love Iowans, but they think it is. And it's just like gas station pizza. Like, I've only had it a handful of times in my life because every time I was like very disappointed. And I honestly don't think it's that bad. I think that just Iowans hype it up so much. So the first time, like, I had Casey's pizza, I was expecting a heavenly experience. And it was just like pizza. So with uh, I know you use the hashtag Barstool Lucy, so I'm sure you've probably seen uh, El Prez's uh, pizza review of Casey's, right? Yes, I agree with him 100 percent. Too bacony. It's- That's that was the thing that I said, OK, Dave, I, I get where you're going, but too much bacon. I don't think there's a such thing. I mean, that one. That's where I, I, I crossed the line on Dave. I said, you, you've gone too far. But that also, I mean, it figures from a guy that only eats cheese pizza, too. Yeah, it's I feel like if you're Midwest, if you're a Midwest person, like you expect the bacon where like coming from outside of the Midwest, it was a little jarring how much bacon and ranch was used just everywhere. (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, Lucy, uh, so you've taken off with these. Uh, You mentioned the Big 12 was your favorite. What maybe individual school did you think was the best line or two that you came up with of these schools you did? Oh, um, God, that's tough. There were a lot of them. I would, so the way I would write these is I would just sit down and I get a notebook and I would just make three columns. So it would say order, uh, school joke. And so I would just write them down and then I would go, I'd call my, my buddy and I'd rehearse it to him. Uh, and then I'd also go and talk to my dad. And so he'd see what he thought personally, like the little brother line for Iowa state, like I got joy out of that, but that's like bias. (laughs) The Kansas line I thought was so good. That was amazing. Yes, Uh, as somebody as somebody that you know went to Kansas and and covered the university, you know covers the university. I I had a great laugh at that too. Um, I thought that was good. I liked Louisville too because I thought it was pretty simple. But I thought your exchange, I thought your exchange between OU Texas and OSU could not have been more perfect. Oh, I thought that was funny too. Yeah, my dad helped me out with that one. (laughs) That's great. So, so is your dad pretty funny too? Not as funny as me, but like pretty funny. That's where I got my sense of humor from. That's why I have a lot of like old man followers because I have old man sense of humor. <laughs> well, it's it's paid off for you so far. So, so tell me about yourself then. Where, where are you? You mentioned you're from North Carolina originally. Uh, where whereabouts and how'd you end up at Iowa? I am so from the Winston-Salem area. I'm from a small town outside of there. Uh, And so I grew up here and then my dad was a University of Iowa grad. So it was a pretty natural choice. I grew up a big Hawkeye fan. I kind of knew that that was always where I wanted to go to school. I already had all the t-shirts. So I was like, all right. So I went out to Iowa and graduated in May. Awesome. And uh, what what are you planning to do? You want to keep doing sports comedy? What's what's the journey ahead for you? That's kind of like the dream job for me. That's why I've started my Barstool Lucy campaign. Um, I was in March, you know, I was full, you know, blown, like searching for, you know, TV sports jobs and actually had a lot of interviews and 
was really getting far with a lot of local stations. And then, you know, everything kind of stopped and you're not going to need a sports reporter without sports. So most of the positions I was applying for were eliminated or, you know, put on a hiring freeze, whatnot. And so I really had time to kind of sit down and like, all right, figure out what my next step is. And I was sitting with um, a really good friend of mine and we were just talking about the stuff I do. And he was like, Lucy, every single thing you like enjoy doing the most, it's all funny, dumb stuff. And I was like, you're right. Like the stuff I love to do, the stuff I had the most fun with and my best stuff is all pretty stupid. And like, it's just me telling jokes and having a good time. And Barstool is the perfect place for me to do that because I have a tendency to tell some jokes that people don't find very funny and people don't like very much and people sometimes don't like me very much. And I feel like Barstool is just the perfect place for me to, you know, be funny, make original, creative content and, you know, do it freely. And so I figured if you want something in life, you got to go get it. And I can't just, you know, email Dave Portnoy, but I can tweet at him and I can get my, you know, little army of Iowa followers and supporters to do it, to help me out. And so I started the Barstool Lucy hashtag. I'm asking people to tweet all the time and just my plan is to just keep making good content until they hire me or my dad kicks me out. Hey, one or the other. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm excited for you. You got a bright future. You're hilarious. Uh, and, and I'm very intrigued. I think we, we're seeing a star in the making right here. Uh, I mean, I, I really mean that. I mean, you, you, uh, you know, I saw some of the other stuff too. I mean, you just very brilliant and, uh, good, a good, good spin. And, and it, it seems like that there's, uh, I don't know if you're wanting to continue to focus on college sports, but there's a, there's a real avenue for that, an opening of sorts. Um, there's not too many people that have taken that lane of, of providing, you know, some, some humor of sorts to the, the college sports world. Yeah, that's, I totally agree with that. And that's a hundred percent where I want to go. That's, I have always been so passionate about college sports. That's always been my favorite college football and basketball have always been my favorite sports to follow as a fan, as a reporter. And so, yeah, if I could get into that college comedy game, I think I could really take it over. I just have to sort of create the game and create a job for the game. So I'll just come up with all that. Yeah, well, uh, I've met Dave a couple of times. If you need his email, I'll be I'll gladly pass it along to you. Um, yes, please. Yeah, a, I would like that very much. <laughs> of course, of course. D- Dave, uh, I love Dave. He's fantastic, and, and it would be great to see you end up there. So um, with, with you being an Iowa fan and, and me being in Kansas, i, I got to ask you, since uh, you know some of our foes here and probably have some th- things to say, let's start with Nebraska. Um you know, we, we've still been very bitter after all these years about them leaving the Big 12. Um, you can have them back. Please, you can have them back if you want them. We, we, we would take know. them back, but not with necessarily a grin. What, what would be, when you think of Nebraska, what, what comes to mind? Five and seven. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Scott Frost, what, what, what about Scott? Oh, I have... I've got a special sneak peek for you. I have got my, it is the dumbest TikTok I have ever made, but maybe one of my favorites. I am dropping my Scott Frost impression TikTok tomorrow. Um, I would say Scott Frost is tough because he, mm, I would, I want to say like nostalgic, but in a bad way. Okay. Um, and I don't know the right word for it. Whiny, isn't it? But I've never seen a coach 
who can just like not take responsibility like him. I can't tell you how many press conference I, conferences, excuse me, I've watched where he's just like, well, I didn't recruit them. They're not my guys. I don't call the plays on defense. They were wearing hoodies. Like, are you for real? What type of joke is that? And so, you know, I'm not complaining because it's fun to have like Iowa just crap on Nebraska every year. Like we enjoy it. Um, and their fan base is, God, they are, bless their hearts. Like, you know, you tasted success 20 years ago and you still think it's there. Like, Jesus. But, <laughs> I mean, you like, I, I mean, I made a TikTok about it. I, sw- I swear they just wake up and they're like, all right, let's put on Nirvana. It's the 90s. Like, this is our life. Like, and they just every single time. Well, oh, you finished five and seven, or I mean, you haven't made it in a bowl to a bowl game in X amount of years. And they're like, yeah, but did you hear about our national championships in the nineties? Like, yeah, I did. I did hear about that. Yeah, I wasn't um, born yet. Tell me about yeah, that. Like, yeah, right. Literally, and it's. I mean, it's they're fun to mess with, and they're easy to make fun of. And so, I'm not a Scott Frost fan. I was excited when he got into the conference. I thought, you know, he was going to kind of bring some rejuvenation, some life, and maybe when his guys get in here, he'll be able to do that. But I haven't liked him. You know, I don't respect him. Like, as a – I want a coach that's, like, a stand-up guy. Like, P.J. Flex, like, a little nutty and a little crazy for sure. But, like, oh, my God, that man would run in front of a bus for his players. He is just so passionate where Scott Frost does not like his players and is, like, open about it. Yeah, uh, I can tell you a, a, a story. The uh, the two players from his squad, the brothers, uh, the Davis brothers that were drafted uh, this past year, he didn't recruit them. Uh, one went in the sixth round, one went in the seventh round of the Steelers and the Buccaneers. And from what I've been told from a very good source, I won't say exactly who, um, he has yet to call them to congratulate them on being drafted. So uh, to go along those same lines, I, I know exactly what you mean here. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Like, I mean, I get so much joy every time people talk about Joe Burrow's story and they include the part where Scott Frost is like, why we don't need him. Like we are, is he better than who we have? Yeah, he is Scott. He is so much better. I mean, he's just, he's a joke. That's great. Uh, What what do you think about Iowa state? It's they're cute. Like, (laughs) They're cute. I don't know. Like, it's so condescending. And if any Iowa State fans listen to this, they're going to tweet at me that you're not very funny, Lucy. And I'll be like, ooh, that hurts so bad. Um, I like Matt Campbell a lot, actually. I really okay. do like him. I've met him a couple times, um, and he doesn't know my affiliation with Iowa. He might now, but he did not then, and he was so nice to me. And I told him, I was like, I'm a, I'm an Iowa student, fan, reporter, all that stuff, and he was so nice. And I think he's doing a great job with that program. But – he just can't get over the hump. They just can't do it. And the problem with Iowa State fans is they do have a great coach in Matt Campbell. And they're like, yeah, here we are. Like, we've got this. We're ready. I'm like, you're still – at least you're seven and five and not five and seven. But, like, you're not – it's seven and five every year. And you're not going to beat Iowa anytime soon. You just can't do it. And, like, it's just – literally, like, Iowa State has four bowl wins in the history of their program. Right. Four. And you want to talk to me about anything, like, ever? Are you kidding me? Ricky Stanzi had three bowl wins. He's got one less than your entire program. Are you, What? 
I, I was so, wondering how long it would take for Ricky Stanzi reference, uh, bringing in somebody it wasn't from Iowa. Take long. <laughs> no, I love Ricky Stanzi. He follows me, so if he hears this, he he know. he's like, uh, how, how do I say this? Uh, the when you think of Iowa football or the, the the god of Iowa football of some sorts, that's the first name that comes to mind is Ricky Stanzi, right? He's our golden boy. Yes. He's we love him. <laughs> he just he was he loved Iowa. Iowa loved him back. That's fantastic. Uh, that, that, that's too good. Uh, what about any others in uh, in the Big Ten? I, I'm sure you probably have some things that you've said about Jim Harbaugh, I, I would think. that That's almost too easy. Uh, yeah, the Jim Harbaugh ones, I actually try to avoid Jim Harbaugh because uh, it is, it's just so easy. And it's kind of <laughs> like, that's, I need a challenge. I mean, I love his, him doing everything on Excel, I think is the funniest thing in the world. Uh, this man writes his plays on Excel. He writes all his notes on Excel. He does everything in life on Microsoft Excel. And I think that's just so, you know, he's got a personality and he owns who he is. But like Michigan is, I mean, I think Michigan's a, like not to take anything from Colin Cowherd, but they're kind of a fake ID program. For some reason, Michigan has convinced everyone that, that they're this like top tier program and like they're one of the best and like they haven't won anything in a long time. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just the stripes on your helmet that make you feel special. Like that's it. Um, If you follow me on Twitter, if anyone's listening to this, they know that I have a very special relationship with the Michigan state community. Okay. Um, As in they hate me so much, not casually death threats on the daily. They hate me so much. Uh, which is fine, whatever. Like, you live in East Lansing. I don't care about your opinion. So, yeah, I have a – me and Michigan State, we don't get along. Uh, we are not buddies. I made a couple jokes about Mark D'Antonio a few months back when he resigned, stepped down, whatever you want to call it, because um, he, he was really sketchy. Yeah, you know, look, I'm just going to lay it out for you the way I laid it out for them, and they just – they're not going to like it. This man – who, let's be honest, wasn't at the top of the character list for Big Ten coaches. Like, he's had, I'll never forget when he had a player get arrested and spend the night in jail on Thursday and play against Iowa on Saturday. Like, that's that's not how I would do things, but whatever. I'm not a head football coach. Um, you know, Michigan State's, I feel like their name's always in the headline for something. Like, I just, whatever. That pro, I mean, that athletic department has crazy issues of their own, as anyone with eyes can see. Um, but when he stepped down, he took a $4 million retention bonus three weeks prior. So he literally took $4 million for staying up until that point, stepped down the day before national signing day, when all these kids had just, you know, were about to sign their, the next four years of their life away to play for him steps down the day after NCAA allegations come out against him. I mean, what, like, come on, like you, you want to pretend that, that that didn't happen. So I made a funny video where I just laid it out. Yeah. I was satirical with it. I was myself and I didn't have any Michigan state followers. I didn't think they'd see it. And then some, they saw it and they have hated me ever since. I have one guy who has tweeted at me, I think every day for the past, what, four or five months. Um, tell me how much he hates me tagging me in old, the 2015 big 10 championship game. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you got me, you know, you got me. Uh, and it's just the patience of you is impressive not to block or mute this guy. 
I mute everyone. I, I have never blocked an account. You can go check. I've never blocked an okay. account. I won't do that. I mute a lot of people. So most of them, like, I get a lot of nasty stuff from Michigan State fans. Most of the nasty stuff I get are because I do leave my DMs open because mm. um, I kind of think it's funny. Um, you know, like, wow, you're that angry at me that you're <laughs> going to go out of your way to send me a message to tell me how much you hate me and you think sure. I'm ugly. Like, cool. Um, and then the really bad ones I get because my buddies will follow me on Twitter and stuff. And they'll be like, Lucy, did you see this? No, I didn't. But they'll send me screenshots. And it's so funny. Um, yeah, they hate me in East Lansing. They don't casually hate me. They like super duper hate me with every fiber of their being. Which is, is fine. Is there anyone else in particular, whether it be a school or a individual that you just love to make fun of that we haven't mentioned? I love to make fun of UNC. Um, I grew up in North Carolina. That's a very easy fan base in school to make fun of. Um, it's easy to make fun of PJ Fleck, even though I do really like him. Um, and let's see, Northwestern is so easy, but I feel bad doing it cause they don't have any fans to defend themselves. Ooh. So I try not to that much. Um, but yeah, Northwestern's easy. Uh, Iowa state's easy. I love Iowa state, even though we already talked about them, but I just had to hit that really hard. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something, but I, I like making, I'll make fun of anybody and Iowa fans who follow me and anybody who follows me know that I, I make fun of Iowa too, cause they're also an easy program to make fun of. Um, but I've have a lot of Iowa people who don't like me either. Okay. How about that? Uh, what do you think of Kirk Ferentz, by the way? Uh, I, Kirk Ferentz is <laughs> a great coach. And I'm going to be smart about what I say here. Um, I noticed a pause at the beginning there. Yeah, because I will say my opinion on him has changed within the last three days. It really has. Oh, Um, okay. So I don't know if you know, but it came out on Monday that um, in 2018, the like diversity task force at Iowa had submitted a report to the athletics department, Kirk Ferentz, Gary Barta, um, et cetera, about what was going on, like racially in, inside of the football program. And so to kind of find out that Kirk and, and Barta and all of them knew what was going on had, it does kind of change my opinion on them a little bit because Kirk Ferentz is like the closest thing to God in Iowa. I mean, he's been there. Kirk Ferentz was hired before I was born. Like, He's coached his first game a month after I was born. You know, he's, he's a legacy. He's the longest tenured coach in college football. He's, and people love him. His players love him. Um, and I loved him as a fan and he was a great person to talk to as a reporter. Uh, and I, I still, you know, have admiration and respect towards him, but I mean, I, I will say a little bit of that, you know, kind of went away with that report on Monday. Cause you know, you don't want your coach to know about stuff and, and not do anything. Yeah. I won't say not do anything was the right term there, but he, you know, he knew about it. And then a few months when everything came out from Iowa football a month or so ago, you know, said that he didn't know. And now we know that he did. And that's just, that's tough to hear when you're like a loyal fan, which I definitely am. I Try not. I don't want anyone thinking I'm an unbiased reporter. I don't ever want that. That's just not true. Right. Well, uh, I appreciate your open and honest about that. Uh, you know, let that out there. Not try to hide anything. That's good uh, on that front, uh, Lucy. And and uh, I grew up in Oklahoma and grew up an OU fan. 
And so we were always forever grateful and indebted uh, to Bob Stoops, uh, for, 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 to Iowa for giving us Bob Stoops all those years. And uh, I loved that uh, he, he never came back to Iowa. I always thought that was the back of my mind, you know, is that a possibility? But the, the fact that he never stayed and you know, came back uh, was, was just so perfect. For worked out great for OU all those years. Yeah, we were pretty disappointed because we interviewed two candidates for that job, Kirk Ferentz and Bob Stoops, and uh, he went somewhere else, so whatever. He actually – he floats around Iowa City sometimes. Like, there was one time a year or two ago where we just had media days in the Iowa football facility. He was just walking around, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, hey, what's up? Uh, and so I don't think anything's going to happen to Kirk after that report came out Monday. Yeah. I really don't. But if it did – Iowa, Iowa fans are already campaigning for Bob Stoops to come back. And <laughs> he's not going to, but good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, uh, to bring back Bob to uh, Iowa—that's uh, that's the pipe dream of sorts, I guess. Uh, so, so Lucy, uh, how disappointed are you going to be if we don't have a college football season? I'll be honest with you. I would. I need college basketball more than I need college football right now. Okay, and so. I will be very upset and bored and kind of, you know, without purpose if we don't have college football. But I'll tell you right now, I would give up college football in a heartbeat if it meant I could have college basketball this year. Okay, so so you're a bigger college basketball fan. I won't even say I won't say that necessarily. I I mean I love both sports. I probably am a bigger college football fan, but just for me, selfishly, selfishlessly, I, don't, I think I butchered that word. Uh, Iowa basketball is going to be so freaking good this year, so freaking good, and I can't, I can't miss that. I, I need that to happen. I need Iowa basketball to be so good. So, I would pick Iowa basketball. I'd pick college basketball just to have that. Okay, fair enough. I, I totally understand where you're coming from there, uh, as far as that goes. Now, I, I will say, you know, the the Big Ten, you guys aren't playing non-conference games this year, and I was reading just as of today, the Big 12 and the SEC and ACC are looking at creating a pact, uh, a pack of some sorts to play a non-conference game or two. Uh, I mean, you, you guys enjoy that, you know, just playing conference games of, of that schedule of sorts there. I mean, that's uh, – I don't know how we're going to know how good this Big Ten champ is if them and the Pac-12 are just playing conference games if, if we get this season in. Yeah, I feel like if if that does end up happening, well, I mean, like Big Ten's already announced that it's happening, but if other conferences decide whether or not they're going to play non-conference games or not, that makes the playoff really sticky. Like, it's just a messed up scenario there because you just have to decide based off what you think, you know, no evidence behind it, what conferences the, are better. And we're going to have a four-team uh, SEC playoff. Like, that's just how that's going to work just because there is – an SEC bias, and that's going to really suck. And and so I wish the Big Ten didn't give up, you know, non-conference games. I understand why they did, but it's brutal because we all know it's going to be four SEC teams. Like, that's just the way it's going to work unless they decide to do four SEC teams or three SEC teams in Notre Dame. Like, that's just the reality of it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's certainly possible. And uh, they're – in the uh, the Big Ten, you know, where you're at at Iowa, I imagine that's going to, you know, the idea of not playing Iowa State just down the road, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it's it's a two it's two hours away. I mean, we've got games with Michigan State, which is six hours away, and we've got, you know, 
Minnesota, five hours away. When Ames is two hours away, like I mean, you guys I get, playing I Maryland or Rutgers this year? Oh, I we I think we play Rutgers. I'm not. I know we play Penn State for sure. So we got that distance. Play there. Penn State, we, but not Iowa State. A lot of sense there. Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? Yes. Um, I mean, I'm I'm okay with it a little bit because you know it's one more year that we're the Cyhawk champ, <laughs> and you know you can make a lot of jokes about it. But like honestly, like I get a nice highlight. Like it's a highlight of my year to beat Iowa State every year, and I'm sad we don't get to do it again this year. <laughs> Lucy, uh, anything else you would like to leave us with? Um. Well, and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, tweet the Barstool Lucy hashtag if you think I'm funny and should get a job and can move out of my dad's basement. <laughs> you know what? I, I think that uh, we we should help you out here, uh, that there should be a few people doing that once we get done. Uh, but thanks for the time. Best of luck. Uh, you got a bright future. I'm excited to see where you end up, uh, where things go from here. And, uh, you know, take – Take the world by storm, you know. A lot of lot of good stuff coming your way, and and keep making these, the, these videos and such. I, I'm sure you got some more ideas in the works. Uh, what, what's oh, yeah. maybe coming up? Can you give us a, a taste of what's coming up in the future? Scott Frost is coming up. Uh, more Big Ten Jeopardy, but I think I'm going to start doing other conference Jeopardy as well. Uh, some NFL content in there. Okay, and I'm going to start doing individual. This is every fan of X program. So I'm going to start off with uh, my UNC take on whatever UNC fan is like. So nice. that should be fun. That, that, that's great. Uh, I like that. A lot of good stuff. Where can people uh, follow you and see all your work? You can follow me on Twitter at Lucy Rodine TV. Um, and if you just search up the hashtag Barstool Lucy or Barstool Lucy period, you can find everything, you know, Lucy Rodine that you may want. Uh, and then I'm on TikTok at Lucy Tells Sports Jokes. But I did another podcast uh, recently where they were like, that name is too long. And you're right, the name is too long. So I will probably be changing the name soon. <laughs> uh, but Lucy Tells Sports Jokes, but you can find everything on my Twitter. I link everything. And then also my Barstool Lucy website. Awesome stuff. Lucy, appreciate the time. Best of luck down the road. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Big thanks to Lucy Rodine for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones back here with you now. Our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, want to talk some Major League Baseball. The MLB season got going last night with the Nationals and the Yankees, as well as the Giants and the Dodgers. The Royals begin their 2020 campaign tonight as they take on Cleveland. That game on the road, and when you look at this Royals team in 2020, I know we don't talk a whole lot of baseball in this show, but looking at this this Royals group, this 60-game season is an interesting one. We just heard from Major League Baseball that they're going to expand the playoffs to 16 teams. That means more than half the league is going to make the postseason. So there actually is a chance for the Royals to make the postseason. And here's the thing that I find myself in when it comes to this Royals team. I find myself saying, looking at this 60-game season, and before they even announced they were expanding the postseason, hey, you know what? With a couple good weeks, the Royals could be in contention and be you know, possibly a playoff team um, if a couple things go their way. And then you see a 16-team playoff, and I'm like, yeah. You get finished below 500, and you might even make the postseason at that point. With eight teams coming out of the American League, um, that's certainly possible. But now, 
we had kind of a, uh, I mean, a reality check of sorts with the way the Royals went about those summer camp preseason games. This team has a long way to go. And you looked at the way Jacob Junis, who they're going to need to play well this year, had no control. And granted, it was one game, but still that was bad. Now Hunter Dozier's got coronavirus, uh, arguably your best hitter. He's going to be out a bit. Salvi, as happy as you are to have him back, we haven't seen him play in over a year. What's he going to be at this point in his career? There's some talent on that Royals roster. There is. Uh, I like some of these young cats like Nicky Lopez and Bubba Starling. We saw Bobby Witt Jr. look fantastic in uh, those preseason games, uh, but he's likely not to get that call up just yet. Uh, Brady Singer is going to be your number two starter uh, for that opening weekend due to the coronavirus keeping out uh, you know, some, some of the guys on that pitching staff. Um, you know, when this team is fully healthy, when everything's there, this is a decent roster. It's not bad what the Royals have put together, but it's in a situation of you're down one or two guys, that's just it. There's just not that much depth on this Royals roster. Um, and in this coronavirus day and age, if you, if you thought you had to have depth already, you especially need to have it more now, uh, now more than ever, um, to be what you want to be, to be competitive. And, and here's what I would say for the Royals fan out there. Um, what's the saying? Patience is a virtue. It would be great if the Royals found a way to get on a run and make the postseason this year, but I really like what Dayton Moore has put together for this roster going forward. With the young talent that they have, knowing that you have Bobby Witt Jr. on the way, Asa Lacey, Brady Singer's going to his rookie year, um, just all these guys coming up, there's going to be some good Royals baseball in the next several years. And uh, my buddy Tom Martin put out the report this week that the downtown ballpark is going to be announced sometime within uh, the next several months. Uh, that that's going to be put together. I mean, the future is bright in Kansas City, but there's still a process of sorts to get to the point where the Royals uh, need to be. I mean, Modesty is a good player. I think one of the things that you look at, um, besides the young guys coming up, of the players that are there for this Royals roster, there there's not an elite guy. Um, and that was okay for the Royals when they won the series back in 2015. But you think about it, Salvador Perez is now on the back end of his career. Alex Gordon is, you know, his best days are behind him. He had a nice bounce back year last year, but you don't know really what you're going to get from him at this point going forward. Jorge Soler had a really good season last year. We'll see what he puts together. He and Dozier, two very good hitters, but they're not going to be in MVP conversations uh, by any means. Whit Mirfield, a good player. Bubba Starling, a good player. Um, you know, Lopez, we mentioned, good player. I mean, you have some key pieces, but nothing elite just yet. I think you're still a year or two away from having those elite talents that you want, the Bobby Witt Juniors of the world. 
uh, you know, Brady Singer leading that pitching staff. Um, you know, those guys like that, there's still a ways to go. You know, Danny Duffy, he's going to be your opening day starter. His better days are behind him. Um, you know, I hate to say it. I love Danny Duffy, and he's been, uh, you know, very uh, loyal to the Royals over the years. Um, but, you know, you're, you're just happy to have him. His future is uh, as a, you know, probably number two or number three starter down the line. Um, so, you know, the Royals, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it, it only takes a couple weeks to be in contention, especially uh, with where you're at with this playoff system. But uh, I'm not getting my hopes up. Let's put it that way. Um, Brad Keller, this is a guy that, you know, the, the Royals need badly. And he's not going to be a part of this roster at the, at the beginning of the season, you know, he's got coronavirus, um, you know, and, and he, re, you know, recovered and all that, and he's still got some time. Uh, it's going to take him time before he can get back out there and such. Um, so it'll be – the other thing, too, is now the, the silver lining of sorts is that, yes, the Royals have already had these guys go out um, and were shorthanded to begin the season, but you got to think – other teams throughout the year will also have players that get coronavirus and will be out for a period of time too. So you would think, with all things being equal, other teams will have the same problems the Royals have as far as guys getting COVID or being out for a bit. Um, you know, they're not in a bubble of sorts like the NBA is. These guys are still living their normal lives to an extent. That's going to happen. So something to keep in mind there that maybe it will catch up where the Royals, uh, despite losing some guys right now, other teams could lose some guys later and such where things balance out. But we'll see. Um, you know, the, the, the Royals, I think, realistically, you're talking about you know next year, I think, is a very good shot to make the playoffs. And then that championship window is probably in the range of uh, beginning in 2022 and you know going to 2025 or 2026. The future of this roster, remember, it's not only just getting them up there, but also getting them to their prime uh, to contend. And there's still a ways from that, from that window uh, of getting together. But, you know, this new era of Royals baseball, I feel like we've almost forgotten about it because we're starting so late. But you got a new manager in Mike Matheny. Uh, you got a new owner that's there as well. Um, you know, there's going to be some changes, some adjustments of sorts. But Dayton Moore still running the show. He's proven himself. You think about it. Dayton Moore has had his hands tied behind his back since he showed up in Kansas City. They have not spent a whole lot of money uh, over the years. They've had to, you know, do everything through that farm system. And he found a way to create a championship roster. And now still with their hands tied behind their backs. Um, he found another way to create a very good farm system that could turn into a championship roster down the line. Um, you know, I know that the losing sucks. It does. No one's going to deny that by any means. But in actuality, when you look at this Royals team, this century they have just as many World Series as the New York Yankees do, World Series titles. 
Sure, there's been a lot more losing along the way than, say, the New York Yankees, but they have a system in place, a system for a small market franchise that doesn't have the money coming in of some of these other teams, and it works. Um, So with that being said, I trust the system. I trust the uh, process. You know, the Sherman family comes in, John Sherman as the new owner, and he's probably going to do things very similar to what we saw of the Glass family, of uh, that small market mindset. And, you know, you hate it. It, it feels small time of sorts to have to sacrifice and lose uh, a lot as opposed to spending big money on free agents. But in actuality, um, you know, it's a local owner. You know, Sherman's a guy in Kansas City. There's not, you know, newsflash, there's not a whole lot of just billionaire uh, Royals fans just sitting around everywhere uh, that have money to throw away at free agents and keep that thing going. That's just not reality. Um, you know, it, it you have to do this if the team is going to stay in Kansas City. So I trust the process. Just be patient, Royals fans. Um, you know, things are, are going to be good down the road. Um, I don't know about this year. Not getting my hopes up. Uh, they certainly have an outside chance to make the postseason. Um, but... Uh, don't be surprised if it's if there's some losing along the way. I mean that preseason was just brutal, kind of a you know a wake up call of sorts. Hey, there's still a ways to go, but we'll see. It's just 60 games. Uh, Royals baseball get started tonight at Cleveland, and uh, their home opener will take place uh, against the White Sox next week from the K in Kansas City. The NBA restart is uh, coming up on the 30th as uh, we will see uh, those guys in Orlando and very good reports have come from the NBA bubble here within the last several days about how guys are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing in the bubble. That's got to be the biggest surprise so far is that you know within the last week or so, there hasn't been a single positive coronavirus test. These guys are taking this thing seriously. Um, and the NBA is doing a good job of holding it together and locking things down. Um, you got this anonymous hotline. I think Dwight Howard's already been reported a couple times for not wearing a mask. Um, he didn't really want to be there to begin with. He was one of the players that advocated that they not finish the season, but he's there nonetheless. But for the most part, you have guys that um, want to be there. Um, you know, I'm not a LeBron fan by any means, uh, but to his credit, this season could have easily been thrown away. They could have said, you know what? Not worth it. Not going to be the same. Uh, they could have said, you know, whoever wins the championship is going to have an asterisk of sorts. They could have easily have done that and moved on, called it a year, and said, we'll see you in October. But you know what? Stars like LeBron and others said, we want a season. We want to finish what we started. We want to pursue a championship. To me, that speaks volumes. And the fact that these guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing right now. Now, this first stretch, um, you're not allowed any visitors. Can't have family there. We heard Stephen A. Smith make it very clear. These guys are going to struggle not to bring women back and stuff like that. That's that's going to be a problem uh, for these guys to deal with. 
But eventually, as more teams get eliminated throughout the process, then you can have your family come stay with you, whether that's your girlfriend or your wife or whatever it may be. So uh, as the bubble uh, you know, moves further along, gets smaller, then you have less reason to get out of the bubble, not only because you're pursuing a championship, but because you have your loved ones with you uh, and whatnot. And, and then also I want to rule out uh, the possibility of uh, as we get more cases lowered and such, uh, possibly the conference finals and the NBA finals going back to home sites of some sort. So once you can narrow down that travel a bit and uh, go from that point forward, you know, if you can keep players in isolation at home for just you know a couple weeks to finish out the season, that could be possible. So kudos to the NBA for getting this done, for pulling this off uh, less than a week away. I like the Clippers to walk away with this championship. I picked them before the season began. Um, but I would say that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have had plenty of the load management now. With this off time that they've been given and that they were well-rested beforehand anyway and still had won a lot of games this year, uh, I think they're more talented than the Lakers are. They're certainly a better defensive team. Uh, I think they're the team to beat. I would say it's them in the West, and it's probably the Bucks in the East. I want to sleep on the Celtics. Uh, we've seen uh, a much better year from them as opposed to uh, what they were a season ago. Jason Tatum, he's going to finish in the top five in the MVP voting. Um, I'll, I'll say that it's going to be Clippers-Lakers in the West with the Clippers coming out of that and winning it. Bucks celtics in the East and uh, the Bucks come out uh, of the East and get to the conference finals and get to the NBA championship uh, on that front. But should be exciting to see how that all unfolds there uh, to make this season happen. It's, uh, it's good uh, that they can make it work one way or the other, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's a, a good experiment. You know, we sacrifice – a couple months of next season, uh, they're going to shorten up the season a bit. We'll, it will start in December. That's fine with me to be able to get this finished and take care of business. Um, you know, Kawhi and LeBron, these guys, to still pursue that championship, to not give up on that opportunity. Credit where credit's due. Going to be a lot of fun. And my Oklahoma City Thunder, by the way, um, that's a team that could surprise some people. You have a group that plays so well together as a team. Sure, there's not necessarily you know a big star of sorts Chris Paul's in the back end of his career although he's had a very good year um SGA of course is coming along very nicely um this is a team that they have such good chemistry as opposed to maybe a team like the Jazz who's such a mess with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and that whole situation and such because the Thunder plays such good team basketball and it might take a while for these teams to get back to uh, where they're playing well together of sorts, Oklahoma City might find their way into the semifinals of the West. I would not rule that out uh, because of where their chemistry is at. Now, for the Thunder's sake, um, you know, as far as the future goes, you know, this team is uh, you know trying to uh, get those draft picks and stuff like that. You might not want them if you're a Thunder fan. You might say, well, they're not going to win the championship. You might want them to lose down the stretch here and build for the future. So that's going to be interesting to follow. Um, you know, the Rockets, 
you know, they've been very pleased with Russell Westbrook. He's had a good year. He's been just as good, if not better, than James Harden there in Houston. And, you know, the Thunder did all that moves to try to start the rebuild. And yet here they are with the same record as the Houston Rockets as they uh, get ready for this NBA restart. So going to be fun to watch uh, the NBA. We'll be watching. I know that they've done this, you know, social justice movement of sorts and that irritates some folks the wrong way, but you know, at the end of the day, it's sports. Uh, you know, we went so long without it in our lives. I'm gonna watch. Uh, I could care less what these guys are saying politically. Um, let's just have fun. Let's just have some basketball and uh, go from there. As uh, far as I'm concerned. Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. And Thomas Bridges actually had time to join us for this one, so he is uh, here to give it to us right now. Tom, uh, good to hear from you. Hope you had a good vacation. Uh, what do we got this week? Jones, we're going straight to the Lab Bible. Um, this was actually yesterday, published yesterday. And, you know, we haven't done a Tom Fullery story yet, I don't think, about mask, like wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or just the shenanigans that have followed the whole mask mandates. By the way, so what they, did you think of my uh, mask at Kansas Speedway? It looked like I had tidy whities on my face. I thought it did, but you had to hide that. You had to hide that. Hello, everybody, from making everybody have to change their underwear. <laughs> like, they uh, what they what mask have they you been wearing? Handle that. Uh, so I have this one that is uh, like blue and white kind of striped kind of looks like Bartlesville brewing colors uh and that one's been serving me well you know it's machine washable it's uh it's pretty solid uh and it's not too bad on the on on the breathing um so it's it's uh served me a lot more well than this lady i'm about to tell you about a woman refused to wear a mask in a bakery because she said trousers don't stop the smell of farts so mask won't stop coronavirus you know jones i get the logic a little bit but then again the mask thing's kind of proven so footage has been posted online showing the moment employees at a panera bread outlet in chico california i wish this is panera bread billy Locke was at refused to serve a customer after she took exception to being asked to cover her face. In the clip, the woman can be seen waiting in line and holding a mask she had been given by staff on entering the shop. However, employees and fellow customers, all of whom were wearing masks, were unimpressed by her unwillingness to comply with the cafe's rules. Filming at the server behind the counter, the woman asked, so you're not going to serve me because I am not wearing a mask? To which the man behind her named William C., said no they're not going to serve you because you're not wearing a mask that's exactly right he added just put on a mask you give such an aura you selfish piece of you can get that get out of here you are so effing selfish turning towards the man while still holding her phone up to film the woman then said stop it stop it to which the man replied no because you're putting all of us at risk at this point, the woman then started blowing towards William and his mate, smirking as she walked towards the exit. Shocked by what had just happened, William then said, Oh, come on, lady. Come on, you child. Grow the F up, lady. Then, as she walked out of the coffee shop, the woman presented her logic for not wearing a face covering. Pointing towards her backside, she said, You think that mask is going to protect you? 
you fart off your ass, you can smell it coming out of your ass. You think that mask is going to protect you. The woman then left the store as the man filming her told her, just grow up, grow up and get out. Thank you. Employees called security who arrived after the woman left the store. The wearing of protective mask is, but mildly, a fairly divisive issue, with some claiming they could help reduce the spread of coronavirus, while others say they make no difference at all and actually hinder people's breathing. Earlier this month, a doctor in Bradford ran 22 miles to work and back while wearing a face mask to prove that it doesn't affect a person's oxygen levels. Jones, I mean, she should still be wearing a mask like she's in California and it's just a ridiculous uh, mess out there. Uh, Also in the photo, the one bad thing about a podcast, you can't see a picture of this lady. But if you had to guess just on what I've told you, you would guess that she looks like Karen and you would be correct. Uh, Absolute Karen move. Uh, you know, even if you didn't want to wear a mask, it's not going to hurt you to wear a mask for like five freaking minutes to get a coffee and then leave and take it off. Right. Um, now here's what I'll say as far as the mask thing goes, uh, this is where I've stood on this Thomas and I've been consistent on this is, uh, I have no problem with wearing a mask. Uh, I have been wearing one, uh, you know, in public and such when I go about places and such like that. My problem is not wearing a mask. It's the messaging about wearing a mask, whether it's, uh, these governments forcing people to wear a mask by choice with, without giving them the freedoms to do so, or, uh, you know, guys like Fauci and Jerome Adams who have, uh, who told people back in March that healthy people shouldn't be wearing a mask and that it does you no benefit. And that was a lie just to uh, make sure the healthcare workers had a mask. They could have told us back then, hey, go ahead and wear a cloth mask. That's okay. Um, and you, sh- you know, that they could have recommended back then, but they didn't. And we could have been a lot more healthier if we would have been wearing masks back then if they would have just been honest with us in the first place. So with that being said, um, should she be wearing a mask in public? Yes, she should. Um, the the fart concept. Now, just looking into the science of it, Tom. The uh, a pant pants are not supposed to block out the smell of a fart. That's not the intent of pants. It's just to give you something to wear. The mask has the intent of blocking out smells and such. So just from a science standpoint, uh, her logic is flawed, right? Right, exactly. I mean, can you imagine if we in this country fought a political war, if there was a, a partisan issue over, you know, should you wear an N95 over your asshole? to keep the fart from invading other people's space. I mean, can you imagine the ridiculousness of that? Jones, I'm sure we've all smelled a fart in public and just been... Every time I do, I just... I don't necessarily laugh, but I'm not necessarily mad. I just kind of, like, try to figure out who dealt it. If you know who dealt it, uh, do you call them out on it? I do. Uh, depends. If I know them, yes. If I don't, then maybe not. There was a. I'll have to send you this uh, this this Reddit comment. There was a kind of a best of Reddit comments 
uh, here the other day, and someone posted this, and I'm a very avid redditor, and so I've I know most of the Reddit folklore, or the you know the best of Reddits. I know most of the funny comments that are like legendary now. This one I had not, and it's funny that we talk about farts today, because this one talked about farting on kids in public who are acting up. And I'll send it to you, but essentially this kid went and farted on this woman's child who was acting like a brat in Walmart, and the mom found out that she that he had farted on her kid on purpose. And it was glorious. So do we now make pants to block farts? That's hilarious. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this, Tom. Uh, farts are still funny in 2020. Uh, despite all we've been through, I still love uh, a good fart joke of some sorts. But I would go a step further, and I would say that, yeah, passing gas can be bad. But I think when somebody doesn't wear deodorant, uh, B.O., I think smells worse than a fart. A fart goes away. The B.O., if you're not wearing deodorant, that just stays forever. That is the worst type of human being, the one that doesn't take the time to just simply put on uh, a stick of deodorant. Yeah, B.O. is 110 times worse. You know, we've talked about here a lot on Tom Fullery lately, human bodily odor. Uh, I mean, we talked about the German train, them discouraging them wearing deodorant to make people wear a mask to not smell bo but you're absolutely right bo is way worse than a fart uh i don't think farts will ever not be funny to me uh you know you hear someone laugh so hard or fart or cough and then fart and especially if it's someone you don't know in public and how embarrassing it is but at the same time everyone does it and it's i think it's hilarious Oh, yeah. Uh, no question about it. Now, what's your approach, Tom? I try to do, even if I'm at home by myself, do everything possible not to fart, to try to hold it in, because uh, I don't even want to smell my own farts. Occasionally, though, <laughs> it just happens. By accident, it just lets, lets out. Do you ever intentionally let out a fart? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, de- it depends. You know, if it, you know, my... It depends, even, literally. It, yeah, it, it literally depends on the situation. Uh, you know, you've been in places where you had to hold in farts all day. And then you literally get in the car after doing whatever you had to do to hold those farts in. Right. Um, now, if you feel like you need to fart, though, shouldn't you just go to the bathroom? That's the sign that you need to take a dump. Not, you know, I've, there's been times that you or your you know bowels are empty and you're still just tooting on along like a little like a little choo-choo train uh i mean see it, it really uh, if i feel a fart coming that's the bat signal for me that i need to get to the bathroom right right yeah i mean it depends on where you're at i mean sometimes you just gotta let it ride but, let it ride. Know, the, the work, oh my know, gosh! To, we just spent let it ride. over ten minutes on this show talking about farting. I, I think that uh, that's a heck of a way to end the show today, Tom. <laughs> Don't hold your farts in, people. Let them let them ride. Let them ride. And uh, now our next invention is going to be a way to contain farts in the pants. A mask for farts. There you go. Then we're going to be billionaires. Right, and uh, we're going to buy a bunch of Whataburger franchises. 
Here's what you do, Jones. You take a normal mask and you put it on your butt area of your underwear. You coat it, the backside of it, with Miracle Whip. <laughs> that and doesn't that sound is, too pleasant. And that that is that's how you block one out. I mean, if you had them all come out. Some people even mention putting fabric softener sheets, like dryer sheets in there. But at one point, you just got to accept it for what it is. Right. Um, now, I'll say this. I am not a believer in all at all that the uh, the uh, the smeller is the feller. Is that what it is? Like, that's that's a total lie. Right. Exactly. I mean, if why would you want to point out be... your own fart that there's no logic in that? Right. To let everybody else know. Yeah. No one's farting been like, oh, my God. You know, no one's going to be like, man, I just let out a great fart, man. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and for one, it's the ones that don't, you know, you don't think are going to do you in that end up doing you in. It's the ones that you think are you can easily pass that are going to be like a freaking uh, trumpet coming out of there. And some of the like nicest or most attractive girls have some of the worst farts. Like everybody does it. It's not just a stereotype of, of certain human beings. Jones, you think on, like, college football, you know, the attractive reporters, you think they just go along the sideline and and fart with freedom, unabashed, just because they know they're around a bunch of football players and they they know that they will not think it's her? Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, just the freedom to pass gas at your, at your, at your leisure. Do you think that's what Aaron Andrews does on a typical NFL Sunday? You think she's just passing gas at Lambeau left and right? <laughs> oh, and, and people just think it's the smell of the cheese. Right, exactly. That or, you know, I think in, and maybe it's just my mind. She got the cheese. You, you, you go to higher elevation, you know, maybe a, a sideline reporter for like the Denver Broncos. You go to a higher elevation. If you're not used to it, it you know, if you've ever seen like packaging, plastic packaging, it, it bulges out. You know, like, uh, I mean, it's the higher elevation constricts that air. And so it does the same thing to your body. And it is every time I go to Denver or Colorado, it, it's it's very evident. On that note, Tom, we got to blow this show away. Uh, big thanks to uh, Lucy Rodine for joining us. Uh, make sure to give her a follow. Tell her that you loved having her on the show. She was fantastic. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and leave us a five-star review. Uh, social media, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore Reports. And uh, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. You can find us there. And we'll see you right back here next week. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. For Thomas Bridges and Lucy Rodine, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.